Well, good morning. I'd ask that you grab your Bibles and the outlines in your bulletin as we look to our 10th installment in our series that we've entitled Redeeming Ruth. If you'd like to open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3, that's where we'll find ourselves this morning. And if you haven't been with us for over three months now, we have been uh, looking at how God has moved in the life of the three most prominent characters in the time and life of the book of Ruth. In the first chapter, as a form of review, we saw God working and moving in the life of Naomi, a woman who had lost her husband and two sons who had become bitter. And God moves her from being a bitter woman to a woman who has great hopes and expectations for the future. In chapter 2 and chapter 3, where we'll find ourselves this morning, we see an ongoing interaction with this woman named Ruth, Naomi's daughter-in-law, and a gracious and loving man that she meets in a field by the name of Boaz. It's in our text today that we come to the first date, if you will, the first major intimate um, interaction between Ruth and this man, Boaz. This is the first real time that these two have to be alone. But not only will it be the first date, but it will also be the night where a proposal of marriage is given. Now, fathers, I'd like to ask you a question this morning. If your daughter was going out on her first date to meet an older man, how would you feel if young Sally came home and said, we had a great time on the date, and would you believe it? I asked him to marry me. That's what we see happen here in the book of Ruth. Now, while you get your hearts back in place, fathers, we see that Ruth follows the advice. She doesn't do this just on her own, but she follows the advice of her mother-in-law, Naomi. And as we learned from verse 3 last week, we see how Naomi tells her to prepare herself for a personal encounter with Boaz. And we learned last week that we are to prepare ourselves to find ongoing harmony with Christ. But I want to notch it up this morning and go from the word harmony to the word intimacy this morning. You're going to hear that word a great deal this morning. And this is why, because we are going to see an intimate encounter that takes place between Ruth and Boaz. And I want to parallel that intimacy with our intimacy with Christ. Well, if you ever want to find out what a definition of a word is, you go to a man by the name of Webster. And he defines intimacy as a close and familiar and usually uh, affectionate or loving personal relationship with someone. It is a close association with a detailed and deep knowledge and understanding of that individual. It is the quality of finding yourself comfortable and warm and familiar with someone else. Now this idea of intimacy is something that we in our society long for. Now we desire different levels and different kinds of intimacy in all walks of life. I have a certain level of intimacy with the elders that I serve with here at the church. I have a level of intimacy with all of you in some way or another. But that intimacy is less, and I I don't even apologize about that, is less than the intimacy that I have with my two sons. And I wouldn't even apologize to them that my intimacy with my two sons is far less than the intimacy that I have with my wife, Amanda. 
Now, we don't have intimacy with everyone, because if that was the case, then intimacy would become nothing more than an acquaintance. But I've been amazed. The one thing I've learned about intimacy, especially in the lives that are most close to me, most intimate with me, especially the life that I have with my wife, the more I grow in knowing about her and the more intimate I become with her, it seems, and I would hope that, uh, husbands, you would say the same thing this morning, that I only want to know more. It seems with intimacy, as we become intimate with someone and begin to draw close to them, that what begins to happen is is as if we're drinking out of salt water. We can't get enough, and our thirst is never quenched. We want more and more and more. I've been amazed to see that in ten years of marriage, my intimacy has grown, but my hunger to know my wife and now to know my children continues to grow. Now, for some of you, attaining intimacy is found in that marriage relationship. And for others, it isn't uh, in the marriage relationship, but it's found in the context of a deep and close friendship because we see a level of intimacy between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. Naomi and Ruth have a level of intimacy, and now Ruth is going to go to this man who she desires to be her husband. But you know, so many times we find ourselves trying to find intimacy in just our human relationships. We try to find intimacy within our friendships. But the Bible tells us that we aren't just called to be intimate with our spouse or to our friends or to the people within the body of Christ. But the first level of intimacy that we must have, the first relationship that we must involve ourselves in an intimate way is the relationship with Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul gives us a preview of this drive in Philippians 3.8. Listen as I read what it says. As he's speaking about all the things that he's had, all the things that he's been a part of, this is what he says. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness. Now, let me stop there. He doesn't say, I consider everything lost compared to knowing Barnabas and Silas. He doesn't say, I I, I compare everything to be nothing, to the surpassing greatness of being the Apostle Paul, or being well-known, or or having an ability to speak in front of people. This is what he says. He says, everything is a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. You know, I could stop right there and we could close in prayer and that would be our application today. If we would just listen to the words of the Apostle Paul and consider everything rubbish and say, you know what, there's nothing more important in my life than intimacy with Jesus Christ. He says, for all these things, I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, he says, rubbish, that I may gain, there's the intimacy, that I may gain Christ. He isn't speaking of salvation, but he's talking about an intimate and dynamic and deep relationship with his Savior. He goes on two verses, and he tells the Philippian church, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. When you live an intimate life with Christ, it's going to mean some good days, and it's going to mean some very tough days as well. Intimacy isn't always easy. He says, in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The goal of the Apostle Paul, the goal of every one of us, should be to pursue Christ in an intimate way. 
But sadly, for so many, including so many here, probably in in the context of these four walls, we find ourselves and we find one another pursuing and elevating intimacy with a spouse or intimacy with our kids or intimacy with our jobs or, or with our friends. And even many times we try to find intimacy in our hobbies or our possessions. And we do all that and we forget about our intimacy and our walk with Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter speaks of this. And he tells the people of God in Second Peter 3.18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What's our goal? What's the command? Grow in our intimacy with Christ. That's what we're called to do. So how are we to do it? How are we to do it, Peter? How are we to go about that? Paul, the answer is found, I believe, in Ruth chapter 3. Now, I want to clarify something. You haven't turned to Ruth chapter 3. As you're turning there, I want to clarify something uh, in particular. In our world today, intimacy is a word that we predominantly use about an activity that takes place behind a closed bedroom door. And I will tell you, if that is your only idea of what intimacy is, then you're missing out. In Ruth chapter 3, we see nothing of any kind of sexual nature to this chapter. Now, there are many uh, individuals, many liberal theologians and feminists, a part of a movement that would like to involve Ruth chapter 3 and say this is a sexual encounter between Ruth, a woman who has a prerogative to come on to a man that she desires to be involved in an area of intimacy with. And what they do is they uh, take the word feet that is found in our text this morning, speaking of uncovering the feet of Boaz, and they take that and they stretch the original Hebrew meaning of that word to try to be some veiled meaning of Boaz's privates. And that is the farthest thing from the truth. We see intimacy, yes, but there is nowhere, and please hear me, there is nowhere there is any kind of hint of immorality that takes place. In fact, at the end of this passage of Scripture, we are going to see Boaz speak of the great renown of the noble character that Ruth has and displays. So how can she be immoral one second and then be affirmed in her noble character? It just can't be the case. So let us look to Ruth chapter 3 this morning. I'm going to ask that you would stand as I read from God's Word this morning. We're going to look at Ruth chapter 3 verses 1 through 11. Let's look at what the Word of the Lord says. One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz with whose servant girls you have been a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but do not let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you then what to do. I'll do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did everything that Naomi told her to do. Now when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly. She uncovered his feet and laid down. 
In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. Boaz replies, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you have shown earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Let's pray for God's blessing this morning. Father God, as we opened your word, as we read it, we know that it is the living and active word of God. So, Lord, we pray as you speak of that your word would be living and active in our hearts this morning, that you would change us, that you would grow in our hearts at a level of intimacy. But as we're going to learn this morning, it's going to mean that we move out of our comfort zone and get close to our master. So to that end, Father, we pray for your strength and ability. And Lord, we pray a blessing over this word that changes our lives. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. There are three aspects this morning from Ruth chapter 3 that I want to learn about when it comes to intimacy. Now, before we get to that outline, I want you to think about something for a moment. We know from chapter 2 that Ruth and Boaz have had some interactions together. They've been able to see each other. They've had some moments together. We know that one was in the field. We know another one uh, took place around the dinner table at Boaz's place when there were a group of individuals around. But this is the first moment where they would be alone. Now, the reader, as they're reading the book of Ruth, has no idea at this point what is going to transpire. If you did not know the story, and maybe some here today have no idea what is going to take place, we have no idea at this point as we read the text whether this uh, love relationship was only simply fleeting, if it was only going to be some looks across the room, or it would become something more. Now, we need to understand, intimacy can only happen when two people are willing for it to happen. You cannot experience intimacy. I, I can't want to have intimacy with you and you not desire that yourself. There's no intimacy there. We call that in America stalking. You can't desire something and someone else say, no, I don't want it, and think that you have intimacy. You will be put in jail. You can't do that. Intimacy takes two people who desire and long for one another. But what we'll learn is is that we cannot grow in our intimacy without doing a couple things. Now the text tells us this morning that Ruth is commanded to go down to the threshing floor. I didn't speak of this the last two weeks because we focused on another part of the text and I left it to this week. But what is the threshing floor? We need to do some teaching on what's going on because we don't hear that a lot in our modern day. The threshing floor back in that time was an ancient uh, way to separate grain from the chaff. It's very similar to an old-fashioned way of combining, if you will. Now, what it would involve would be a two-step process. First of all, the stalks would be cut and would be spread on the threshing floor, which was a hard surface made of rock. And then they would take oxen, and the oxen would have some sort of apparatus hooked up to them that would be heavy, would be similar to a... um, 
a roller that you would see that someone would pull behind their lawnmower to flatten their ground. This is some sort of roller that would go and it would roll as the oxen would walk around this threshing floor. And what it would do is it would break up the chaff from the grain and that the grain would be there ready to be taken. But there was a second step. Once it had been crushed and ready to be separated, what the uh, farmer would do is he would take a big... uh, fork, some sort of pitchfork, and he would lift up the stalks and he would begin to throw it in the air like this. And as he did that, the chaff would uh, fly into the air and then the grain would be, which is heavier, would fall to the ground. And that's what we would have. And what this is doing is this is the idea of winnowing barley. That's what she talks about. Naomi says, tonight he is winnowing barley. Boaz is out at the threshing floor and he's throwing his grain in the air to allow the grain to fall to the ground and separate it so it can be used. That's the process that we see. Now, these threshing floors were normally located on hilltops or in open, large fields. Now, why? Because to be able to do any kind of action like this, you would need the help of wind to work in aiding you in that. And these threshing floors were huge. They were used as meeting places. They were used as landmarks. And because they were so crucial to the life of that agricultural type living, they were highly valued. Threshing floors were vulnerable to raids by bandits and robbers. Our text tells us that the master Boaz would be at work at the threshing floor. And Naomi tells Ruth to go to the threshing floor and to find her master. One thing I want you to write down somewhere, I don't have it as a buzz statement within my outline, but one thing I want you to understand is that intimacy can only happen when you go and find the master. Intimacy can only happen when you go and find the master. Now we know that Boaz Boaz is at work. He's working and Ruth says, hey, you want intimacy with Boaz? You've got to go where he is working. Some years ago, a book was written entitled Experiencing God by a man named Henry Blackaby. And Blackaby writes that to experience God, then go find where God is working and meet him there. Because that is where we experience or we find intimacy with God. You'll never find intimacy with your spouse or a friend if you're never engaged with them where they're at. If I lived in some other house, there's a good chance I will not have the intimacy that I do with my wife unless I'm living with her, interacting with her, and going through this thing called life together. And that's what Ruth does. But why this thing of intimacy? What is so big about it? The first thing we see of the three attributes we see about this intimacy is that true love, this intimate love, is desired... It is desired because of the possibilities. Why does Ruth want to do this? Well, it's the same question we ask. Why is it, what is it about love that causes shy men to be bold? What is it about love that drives us out of our comfort zone? What is it about love that allows the greatest control freak to love the feeling of being out of control? What is it about love? What is it about that emotion? What is it that seems to begin to put a 
pep in our step and kind of make us feel as light as air as we think about love and all that may be going on. Even the biggest, strongest, most manly man grins and loves the butterflies in his stomach because of this thing called love. But why? I believe that love opens the window to wonderful possibilities. There's an amazing place that love has. And this is why Ruth is pursuing intimacy for the possibilities. Now, why would she do it? She desired love because she needed love. And we're going to learn that she needed three things. From our study of Ruth in Ruth chapter 1, we first learned that she desired for a new home. For a new home. We know that Ruth came from the land of Boaz and that she has lost her husband Malon and she's come back to Bethlehem, a place that she does not know, a people she is not closely associated with. And she comes back with Naomi and she has no place to live. Ruth is a widow. And yet with Boaz, with an intimate relationship with Boaz, Ruth would now have the opportunity to experience the joy of a new marriage and a relationship with someone else. She's longing, not just for love, but what love will bring. The second thing we see is that she desired for hope for the future. She desired hope for the future. Again, Ruth is a widow. And as a widow in that day, there was no Medicaid and there was no uh, uh, things like Medicare and, and, and opportunities to be taken care of. In fact, if you were a woman back in that day, it would have been very difficult for you to live. Now, let's add one element to that. Ruth is not just a widow without anyone to care for her, but Ruth is a foreign widow, which means she is the lowest of lows. She's got no hope. The only thing she can be thinking about in Bethlehem is the life of suffering, poverty, loneliness, and defeat. But if Boaz was to marry her, if Boaz was to enter into an intimate relationship with her, then her future would forever be altered. And the final thing we see this morning is that she looked at the possibility of a new level of happiness. A new level of happiness. Ruth would never be fulfilled and happy in her current condition. She needs the love and the security that only Boaz would be able to bring. Now, while that is true for Ruth, I will contend this morning that that is true for every believer here this morning. We are a people who are foreigners, who have been shown grace just as Ruth was shown grace in the fields of Boaz. So we are shown uh, favor in the fields of our master, Jesus Christ, and he saves us. But saving us is not the end. Christ desires intimacy. And that intimacy brings forth the realization of our already changed position. And what that means is that we are given the realization of a new home. We are told in uh, John chapter 14 that we are not to be anxious. We are not to worry. We are not to become uh, full of dread. But that our Savior, our Master, the heavenly Boaz, is going to prepare a place for us. Where is that place? That place is in heaven. And he's preparing it even today for the people 
of God. But it also involves hope. We who are dead in our trespasses and sin, we who have no hope for a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, He not only gives us hope, but He brings us into His family and says that everything you need, you will be given. And then finally, we are given a new level of happiness. The Bible tells us that we will not just be happy as Christians, but we will have joy. The Bible doesn't say that we won't uh, have issues of turmoil in our life, but he says amidst that turmoil, we will find the peace of God that transcends all understanding. And that peace of God will uh, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In fact, just write a couple of these things down. I don't want to take a lot of time, but if you struggle... In the area of what Christ is doing for you, understand this. In an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, Paul says in Ephesians 1.3 that we'll have all spiritual blessing. In John 3.16, we are given eternal life. In Ephesians 2.13-17, through we are told we have a close relationship with our Father in heaven. In John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, we are given the promise of absolute security. In Hebrews 13:5, we are given the understanding that our Lord is ever-present wherever we may be. In 1 John 2:2, we are told that we have an advocate and one who has paid the penalty of our sin and taken away death. In Hebrews 7:25 and Romans 8:34, we are given a high priest in, who, in heaven who intercedes on our behalf. And in Proverbs 18.24, we are given the promise of a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I don't know where you're at this morning, but if you are not pursuing intimacy with Christ, I will tell you, while all those are true and they are promises for every child of God, you will not experience the the loveliness of that promise in Scripture. If you're far away from the Lord, you will never be able to experience that firsthand. You'll see others experience it and say, where's the peace? Where's the joy? Where are the spiritual blessings? That comes in a life that is intimate. In fact, when we share the gospel call, the gospel is about sharing with people that a relationship with Christ opens the door for every possible thing that you and I would ever need. When we share the good news of Jesus Christ, we don't share an option. We share the only road that will bring forth joy and peace because the walk with Jesus Christ is a life that opens up every possibility that you and I could ever think of. And that's the relationship that Ruth is desiring from Boaz. The second thing we see this morning is that true love is discovered. It is discovered by following a plan. It's by following a plan. Now, I would agree that there can be uh, uh, like at first sight. There can be attraction at first sight. I will tell you there is never intimacy at first sight. I don't care what's going on in your stomach and what's going on in your heart when you see that young man or that young woman or old man or old woman, wherever you may be. I don't know where all that goes. But we know that intimacy is not formed in that first encounter. But it takes time. It it takes more than just something happening between two people. It involves a certain plan. Now, the first thing we see of this plan is that the the intimacy with Boaz and Ruth, first of all, involves a certain research. It involves a proper research. Look at verse 3. 
As Naomi unveils her plan to Ruth, at the end of verse 3, she tells her to go down to the threshing floor. What she says is, hey, when you go down there, don't make a scene. Stay quiet. Go and stand far off so that no one will see you and research the surroundings. Look at what it says in verse 4. Ruth is to wait until Boaz has eaten, had plenty to drink. He's in good spirits. It's like me. Boaz was like me. You don't talk to me before, after the meal, and you'll get a lot more out of me then. In verse 4, it tells Ruth to note the place. Note the place. Others say, uh, look around you. See what is happening. See where he lays. This phrase has multiple meanings in the Hebrew. Some commentaries believe that the advice is quite simple. Know where Boaz is lying down, because what you're going to do is you're going to go uncover his feet. And there were probably maybe some, some, some guys around that were helping Boaz at the threshing floor. And what Ruth does not want to do is uncover the feet of the wrong man. So make sure you've got the right pair of feet. Look around. See where he's at. Don't, don't go after Charlie's feet. Don't go after Bob's feet. Go after Boaz's feet. Make sure you know where he's at. But the two commentators that I have relied most heavily on in the book of Ruth give a greater emphasis to this term, note the place. And what they say is, as they dissect the Hebrew language and the, and the atmosphere of what is being built up in the Hebrew narrative, they say it's something more than that. And it isn't just to note where he's at, but to get to know him from far off. Begin to understand who he is. But there's even more to that, they say. It's not just researching and watching what is transpiring in the environment around Boaz, but it's also to clarify in her mind that this, in fact, is the right decision to make. Note the place. Take some time and understand that what you're about to do is a life-changing discussion. And make sure that that's what you want to do. You know, that's true of intimacy as well. When we desire intimacy, whether it's with a spouse or a friend, it involves doing research. And what I mean by that is I, I didn't go into an encyclopedia Britannica to look up Amanda and, and find her picture there and find out all about her. But I had to do uh, research. I have to know who she is. It involves communicating. It involves interacting, watching her as she goes through this thing called life. Young people, those that are here today and not on a mission trip, understand and know this, that your dating life isn't just to hold hands and have goo-goo eyes with one another, but it should be a courting time where you get to know the individual and understand that you have a level of what you're looking for and doing the research. Is this the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with, or is it not? If, 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 If your dating life is nothing a part of that, then you're goofing around is what you're doing. And open yourself to a lot of disaster and a lot of hurt and pain. Intimacy is born out of getting to know the other person. Well, how does that fit within our Christian walk this morning? Our Christian walk is very important. If we want to have a deep and intimate relationship with Christ, then it involves getting to know Christ. It involves getting to know and understand the place where He's at. We need to know who Christ is. We need to get to know as much about Him as we can. Sadly, in our lives today as Christians, there are a lot of people who talk a good game, who say, I've got this great relationship with Christ, but have no clue of who Jesus Christ is in their life. 
There's no idea, you know, hey, I love Jesus. He saved me. He's my fire insurance. Well, let me tell you something. I don't have that intimate of a relationship with my insurance agent. I know that if my house burns down, that I'll call him, and there's a piece of paper that says, hey, if your house burns down, here's the money that will pay you, and you can rebuild the house. If that's the only relationship you have is Jesus as your insurance agent, that if you die, that you'd make sure you go to heaven, that's not intimacy, folks. That is insurance. God desires intimacy with his people. And what does that mean? That means opening that word that is in your hand, not just when Tim says open it up, but each and every day saying, I want to get to know Jesus. And it involves research. What do you know about your Savior? What do you know about your Lord? I don't just mean a knowledge, because the Bible says that knowledge puffs up. But have you experienced Jesus in your life? Are you you engaging with Him? Are you inviting Him into the details of your life? Well, it involves a second aspect, and that research involves that you have the right resolve. That you have the right resolve. Look at what it says in verse 5 and 6. Ruth answers, after Naomi has told her all that she needs to do, Ruth says, I will do whatever you say. She says, I'll do whatever you say. Now, after Ruth had been commanded to pursue a certain path, a certain uh, a plan, she says, I want to do it. I want to engage in this activity. I'm going to do what you say. Now, this is a sign of Ruth's obedience. Ruth was an obedient person. All throughout the book of Ruth, we see Ruth obeying all that Boaz says, all that Naomi says. She wants to follow people of wisdom. But this resolve included something more. It was easy, please hear me, it was easy for Naomi to speak her mind. Naomi says, hey, I want you to do this, 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 and this. Go and hang out with Boaz, get to know him, lay at his feet, uncover his feet, and and just kind of go from there, see what happens, see what Boaz does. But you need to understand, that's casual for Naomi. For Ruth, it meant everything in the world, because she had no idea what Boaz's response might be. I had a friend who uh, was always so much freer with with the ladies and the ability to talk with the girls in high school and stuff like that. And he would always tell me, Tim, go and say hi to her. Go ask her to prom. Go do this and that. I said, it's easy for you to say, i got to go do it. That's not easy. And he said, oh, it's not that difficult. You just go up and do it. Have you tried? And I tell you something, he never did. He was always given the advice, never the one doing it. And sadly, he's still single today. I don't think he's ever caught up the right resolve and courage to go and do what he told us as a group of guys to always go and do. It's easy to give advice. It's easy to talk about intimacy. It's hard to live it out, which we'll see in a moment. It was a desire and a resolve. Now, what does that involve for us this morning? Understand this. If you desire intimacy, then it's going to mean giving up a lot of your comfort. It's going to mean being transparent. It's going to mean that you humble yourselves. And if what you're going to do is try to go and pursue intimacy, then it's going to, have, it's going to be a state of mind. It's going to change who you are and saying, I am willing, no matter what happens, no matter what transpires, No matter whether I'm rejected or whether I'm laughed at or whether I'm abused or hurt, no matter what it is, I desire intimacy more than anything else. I can assure you that when I met Amanda, I had the resolve, no matter what she said, 
to ask her out on a date. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad that I didn't go, go frightened and running away. Why? Because I desired to know her more. But it doesn't just revo- re- involve a resolve, but it also involves another thing. And that is a right response. Look at what it says in verse 6. It says that she went down to the threshing floor, speaking of Ruth, and she did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. She doesn't sit there and say, yeah, Naomi, that sounds like a plan, and we'll get together with Boaz, and and I'll make sure I wear my uh, Versace uh, outfit, and uh, make sure I've got my Chanel number 5 on, and and you know, we'll have the mood light on, and and maybe some Barry White in the background, and it's going to be great. I, I had friends that would talk that way, and they never did it. It would be no good for Naomi and Ruth to talk about Boaz. And you know, did you see Boaz, how wonderful Boaz is? And did you see him with his guys? He's such a leader and, and he's strong. Now, most commentators say that because Boaz was older when he finally got married, that uh, one contemporary commentary says he must have had some goiter or something hanging on his face. He must not have been that good looking of a guy because everybody speaks so highly of him, but nobody's dated him. No one's married to the guy. And so here they are talking about this great involvement that they have. But what it takes when it comes to intimacy is an important step. And that important step is the first step. The first step towards intimacy. Because what we see happen is is Ruth doesn't just talk a good game. She goes out and does it. She does everything that Naomi told her to do. How does that involve our relationship with Christ? Well, in any form of intimacy, intimate relationship that we find, it doesn't just involve talking about it. I could tell you how great and awesome my relationship with my wife is. And when I get home with my wife, she would uh, say, that's a lie, that's this and that. I can talk a good game. And if that's what I'm going to do, then we've got a problem. But if I was to speak about the relationship that I have with, uh, with my wife, Amanda, and go home and she says, what you said is absolutely true, we have a close relationship, and you do the things that you say you do, then we'll have intimacy. Folks, intimacy is not in the words that you use. It is involved in the actions that you take. You cannot have intimacy without hard work. You can't have intimacy without moving forward towards that. When it comes to Christ, there are a lot of people who say they have wonderful relationship with Christ. And you sit there and say, oh, I love Jesus, don't you? Isn't Jesus a good God? Isn't, doesn't he take care of us? Doesn't he meet our needs? That's all fine and dandy. But the question is, are you taking steps to knowing and understanding that level of intimacy when it comes to Christ? Are you pursuing it? Because if you're just talking, then it's not intimacy. But if you're living it, That's where the intimate relationship comes. It involves one final thing, and that is is it involves a proper request. A proper request. Look at verse 7 through 9. The narrative tells us when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Now, the text tells us that Ruth uncovers the feet of Boaz. Why would she do that? Well, practically speaking, it was to try to slowly awaken Boaz. That the coolness of the night out on the threshing floor, that the breeze would waken him by the uncovering of his feet. Now, the text tells us that he was frightened. He was startled. Literally, in the Hebrew, it means frightened. 
The reason Boaz is sleeping in a pile of grain, that doesn't sound like a a miracle bed or a sleep number bed. Sleeping on some barley doesn't seem like something you would normally do. Why is Boaz sleeping out there? Again, his grain is there. And if you had your life savings out in an open field, I can assure you, you're going to find a comfortable place to sleep out in the open field. That's what he does. He says, you know what? I need to make sure no one takes my grain. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lie on top of it. So if anybody wants to try to steal it, they're going to have to get through me. And in the middle of the night, it says he's frightened. Now, why would a man of valor, a man of vitality like Boaz, be frightened? Now, there's one thing for you guys who say, I would never be frightened being woken up. What do you think? I would get up and I would take care of business. There are those sounds in your house that you are awakened to that don't mean anything. A train moving on. Maybe uh, a bird outside or something that transpires outside. There's a different kind of waking up when you hear glass break in your house or someone pounding on your door, correct? I'll tell you, I'm frightened. I'm going to get up, but I'm going to be frightened. What is happening? What is going on? That is the type of atmosphere that we see with Boaz. He's frightened. He looks up. He looks around, rubs the sleep out of his eyes. And what does he see? A thief? No. A bandit? No. A woman lying at his feet. And right here, right at this place, the writer of the book of Ruth is desiring, the way it is written in the Hebrew, is that there be a pause at this moment. That's if we had the uh, movie, uh, the blockbuster movie of Ruth. You would hear the orchestra music play to a grand finale, and then there would be silence. There would be nothing happening but eerie silence. What would be his response? Who was this masked woman? Who was this woman lying at the feet of Boaz? There would be this climax that would build. And then we see Boaz says, who are you? He doesn't know who she is. It's dark. We don't have night lights out in uh, this time in, in the place of Bethlehem. So what happens? He asks, who are you? He knows it's not a bandit, but who is it? She says, I'm your servant, Ruth. I want you to understand where Ruth has come. She's come a long way. It's like the Virginia Slims. You've come a long way, baby. Okay? Some of you got that. Others didn't. Others are wondering why I'm quoting a cigarette commercial. (laughs) She's come a long way. And so what happens with her Marlboro man? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) What happens? Ruth says, I am your servant. Ruth speaks nothing about her being from Moab. Remember, nine times in this four-chapter ver- uh, four book, Ruth says, I am Ruth the Moabitess, and she's called by the narrator being Ruth from Moab. There's no mention of that. There's no mention of her being a widow. There's no mention of her losing her husband, Malon. None of that. She says, I am your servant, Ruth. Understand, intimacy doesn't find itself in the past, but in the present. You want intimacy with Christ? Don't start bringing up the past. Your past has been forgiven when it comes to Jesus Christ. Christ isn't worried about the sins you committed years ago. Those have been covered by the blood of Christ. Intimacy is moving from the past and living in the present. Finding yourself and saying, as of today, I can't do much about the past, Jesus, other than give you that, and today I'm going to move forward. Ruth says, I'm your servant. She doesn't deal with the past. She deals 
with the present. But look at what she requests. She says, I'm your servant, Ruth, she says. Now I'm going to ask you something. This would have been an amazing place because women usually would first ask for even the opportunity to speak in that time frame, in that custom. And here Ruth doesn't even just, just doesn't say who she is, but she turns around and asks for something of Boaz. She says, take your garment, the corner of your garment, and cover me. Cover me with it. What an amazing request that is given. Now you would say, well, what is, what is that about? What does that involve? What she is asking is, will you be my husband? She's asking that Boaz would take her into his home. And this covering is symbolic, that you would be my protection, that you would be my uh, king, my God, my all those things, everything. You would be everything to me What is what she is saying to Boaz. Cover me. I don't no longer want to be the one they see. I want you to have your covering over me, that when they see Ruth, they hear of Boaz. I don't know about you, but that connects something very near and dear to me as a child of God. When you go and desire intimacy with God, it isn't going to involve who you are, but it is going to involve you requesting that Christ cover you. So that when people see you, what they see is not Tim or not uh, who we are, but they see our master, the one who covers us. And you know what we're asking for? That Christ would be our God. He would be our king. He would be our guide. He would be the one who protects us. He'd be the one who provides for us. He'd be the one who takes care of all those things. Now notice with me for a moment that Ruth never talks about what's going to happen after the covering takes place. All she knows is that she has to be covered by someone. And Boaz seems to be the right one. Folks, when we ask for covering, we need not worry about the details of what happens after that. There are so many of us who desire to try to find out what Jesus is going to do in a life of intimacy that we may have with him, instead of just getting intimate with Jesus. Get to the feet of Jesus. Don't worry about anything else. Don't worry about his response. Don't worry about what he's going to do. She is commanded to get to the feet of Boaz. Likewise, we are to get to the feet of Jesus. Well, why is all that? Why why does all that take place? Because we need covering. Just like Ruth, we need a place of covering. Well, what does Boaz say? This eerie silence begins. What is going to be his response? Is he going to hurt her? Is he going to go and publicly humiliate her? Is he going to go and say, get out of here? Who do you think you are? I was nice to you. I gave you grain. I've taken care of you. And now you think you can come and ask for me to be your husband? You've got to be kidding me, Ruth. What are you thinking? What do you smoke over in Moab to think I would do that? Does he say any of that? No. Look at what he says. Let the narrative take over for us in verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter. Boaz replies, this kindness is greater than that which you have shown earlier. You've not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of character. How does Boaz respond? Boaz responds the same way that Jesus responds when we pursue intimacy. Because what we see is that true love is declared. It is declared through pleasantries. What I mean by that is that there are pleasant words that are shared 
by Boaz. Just as there are pleasant words that are shared by our Savior, Jesus Christ. The first one we see is that Boaz declares his acceptance. He declares his acceptance. Imagine the fears again that Ruth was having. Is he going to accept me or is he going to reject me? And look at what Boaz says. He first says, the Lord bless you. That doesn't sound like a rejection. That doesn't sound like, you know what, hey Ruth, I just think we should be friends. I don't know about you, but I, I, I heard that a lot. I heard, Tim, you know, that'd be great to go out on a date with you. And I'd be like, all right, sounding good. But it would ruin our friendship. And I was like, ruin the friendship. I just want a girlfriend. And I've learned that that's not what we should be only desiring, just to add that there. But look at what he says in verse 11. Just making sure you guys are awake there. Verse 11 says, he tells her not to fear. Tells her, don't fear. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about it. Boaz articulates by saying, the Lord bless you and don't fear. You know what he articulates? Everything you want, I want as well. Everything that you've come for, I desire the same thing. You know, when we go to Christ and we say, Father, I want intimacy with your Son, we aren't rejected. We aren't thrown away. We aren't told, well, hey, you know what? You know, Jesus is only in the friend business. He's, he's not anything more than that. Jesus says, don't fear. We are told in the book of Hebrews to approach the throne of grace, not with fear and trepidation, but with confidence. When was the last time you approached the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that your Lord and Savior would meet you right where you're at. The second thing we see isn't just an acceptance, but we also see an assurance. Look at what it says in verse 11. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. Boaz doesn't say, all right, you've asked for me to do some things. I'll do some of them. Let's, let's deal, Ruth. Okay, you came, you uncovered my feet. You've asked me to cover you. I'll cover you halfway, Ruth. You need a place to stay. I'll, I'll give you that. You, you need some food. I'll take care of that. But, but I'm not going to do anything more. He doesn't say that. He assures her that every need that she has will be taken care of. All that you ask, I will do it. When we come to Christ and we seek out intimacy, he doesn't say, Tim, you know, I, I'll, I'll help you out with a couple of the temptations. I'll deal with some of your issues. I'll give you some peace. He says, everything that you ask for, I will give it to you. That's what intimacy with Christ is all about. And assurance. Now understand, our position as children of God is that God will take care of our needs. And my God will take care of all your needs, the Apostle Paul says, according to your riches in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. God is going to meet our needs. And He's going to define what those needs are and determine when those needs need to be taken care of. But if you want to experience that, then it involves intimacy with Christ. Thirdly, we see an affirmation. Boaz declares his affirmation. Look at what he says. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Why does Boaz say this? Because you need to understand that what Ruth does is a gamble. It probably even is a little questionable. Commentators wonder. In fact, one commentator, ancient commentator, said this is a great circumstance that takes place. This is a great outcome. But never would I tell my daughter to do what Naomi told Ruth to do. That's kind of odd. 
Here, Naomi asked for her daughter to do something. It was risky. What happens if Boaz took advantage of Ruth? What happens if someone else took advantage of Ruth? Ruth is being sent out into a dark field by herself, dressed to kill, okay, to go find a guy. Let me ask some of you fathers if you would let your daughter go do that. That's what Naomi does. She tells her, go and then go and cover a dude's feet. That's not great advice. But God uses that questionable advice to bring glory and to bring these two together. But look at what Boaz says. He says, hey, you're noble. You're of noble character. Everybody knows it. Everybody sees it. Let me tell you something. When you pursue intimacy, let me close with this thought. When you pursue intimacy with Christ and you make that your life and you pursue that after all other things, she could have pursued after younger men. She could have pursued against richer men. She could have gone after all that, but she pursues Boaz, the one that was placed before her. And she's affirmed for it. And when we pursue Christ, instead of all the things of this world, you may not receive much affirmation here on earth. But when we enter into that heavenly place that is being prepared for us today, the Bible says that when we see Jesus Christ, the one we've been growing close to, that his response will be simple. Well done, good and faithful servant. And an affirmation will take place far greater than the applause of this world. Let me close with this. Where is your intimacy at today? Is it in a ball team? Is it in uh, your work, in the pursuit of riches? Is your intimacy in in pursuing uh, lifelong relationships? Or first and foremost, is your intimacy found in Jesus Christ? Let me close in prayer. Father God, we come before you. We long to know you. We desire to be seekers of your heart. And Lord, we know we can't do this without you. We need one who will put together the plan that will allow us to find success. And that isn't our mother-in-law, that isn't our friends, but that is your Holy Spirit who says that if we abide in you, you will abide in us, and that we will remain in you, you will remain in us. And that is where we find intimacy. So, Father, I pray for every heart here this morning that they would find that intimacy, the intimacy that can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I know, Father, we turn to our own ways, to our own sin, to our own distractions. So, Father, I pray you would bring us back Reveal yourself to us. Show yourself as the God that you are that can penetrate through all those distractions and all those sins so that our desire of our hearts would be nothing more than to draw close to you. You promise that when we draw close to you, that you then will draw close to us. Let us be a church that draws close to you. And in light of that, that they will see, the world will see a people who are covered by their master, Jesus Christ. We love you and thank you for this opportunity to draw close to you and give all that we have over to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand and sing as we close off our worship service this morning.